Welcome to the Endurance Horse Podcast, where endurance riders from all across the globe gather, sharing their stories, goals, and progress as they train for and compete in endurance events at every level. So kick off your shoes, pull up a chair, and listen as we gather around the virtual campfire and listen to friends from across the world. Hey, Jim. Welcome home. Hello. I guess I was just waiting for you to start episode 42. Yeah, I haven't even changed out of my work clothes yet. (laughs) So... We made it through episode 41. I've been dreading talking about that for a long time, but you're right. I needed to do it. It was cathartic and um, got it out of the way. Yep. Good healing time. So in this episode, we're going to hear from three owners again who have their own unique story. And we're also going to talk to Dr. Sam Crosby from Arcadia, Oklahoma, Crosby Equine Service. What is the main thing you want people to take away from this series? Just an awareness if there's something weird going on with their horse and they've got a gut feeling, then they need to look into it and get tested or whatever needs to be done. But to me, it's just getting the word out there, getting the awareness out there, because the faster you get after it, the better off you are. Small symptoms, really, you don't hear about them. And you'll hear me ask Dr. Crosby about them in our interview. For example, swallowing and choke is fairly common, a symptom. And honestly, we had that intermittently with a couple of our horses and we just thought they were bolting their food. Yeah. I mean, I haven't done nowhere near the research that you have, but you know, it's, it depends on where they're at and what they're attacking. You know, I mean, if they're in the spine, then you, you know, get what we had with Houdini where he just Totally lost control of his hind end and, you know, couldn't stand up. They're somewhere else, then they attack this and you get these symptoms. And it's just a a, a really hard thing to to track down, but, you know, we'll do the best we can. And you'll hear Dr. Crosby talk about there are different varieties of the protozoa. Some of those actually embed into the horse's tongue. Be an advocate for your horse. All right. And on with the episode, huh? Without further ado... We bring you episode 42 of Endurance Horse Podcast. Hi, my name is Sandy. I have been in horses for over 46 years. I started riding as a little kid when um, Stable opened up just down the street from my house. So I have dealt with two horses with EPM. In 1995, I had a five-year-old Arabian gelding, and EPM was just starting to be diagnosed and recognized. I had purchased this gelding to, he was a just started four-year-old, and I was going to show. He did great uh, until his, he was the spring of his five-year-old year, and he just started acting stiff, um, just not wanting to bend, not picking up his leads. I put it down to a training issue because I had done all his training. So I sent him to a trainer and had some work done, and it didn't really make a difference. Eventually, it progressed to he, where he had front-end lameness. And at this point in EPM, the only signs that were really recognized was facial paralysis and hind-end lameness, and he didn't have either of those. Um, we treated him for navicular. We had all sorts of different, we treated him for six months for different things. And then it eventually progressed to back soreness and to the point that he actually fell with me when I was riding him. And then we got really serious and again, just treated him with a bunch of different things. Um, 
we were at the point that I was going to take him up to Michigan State University to have spinal work done on him. And my vet, uh, just kind of as a last minute thing, said, let's do a spinal tap on him and test him for EPM, even though he doesn't have the characteristic signs of it. Well, that came back positive, and he did have EPM. So we treated him for six months, twice a day, uh, oral slurries of SMZs and a human anti-malarial drug, which I am very fortunate that I actually worked for a pharmaceutical company at that point, so I could actually get the anti-malarial drug for a lot cheaper than it was going, because I think it was about $3,000 for a dose, for a treatment at that point. He recovered pretty well. He always had back issues. Um, his musculature was very different on both sides of his back, and I had to get a custom saddle made for him, and we had to do steroid injections in his back every four months or else he'd go lame again. And I ended up selling him. Uh, life changed, had a baby, didn't have time, and I'm happy to say that he ended up becoming a fairly successful, at least in a regional level, endurance horse. So he did great. My second horse, fast forward to 2011, and at that point I had a, he was a yearling paint, paint gelding, and his signs for EPM were completely different. He had acute onset EPM, which I did not even know was a thing until it happened. So he went um, from fine. He, I put him in his stall and he was showing absolutely no signs. You know, granted he was a baby, but we did do a lot of groundwork. So, you know, he was used consistently. And uh, I think I would have noticed if he was lame or had any issues, but he didn't. He was fine. Uh, went out the next morning and he was flat out on his side in his stall and he was unable to roll onto his sternum. He was completely calm, which is kind of his personality, but he just absolutely could not do more than pick up his head and neck. So obviously Munich called the vet, the vet came out and he listed off like four or five different things that it could possibly be. The last one he said was EPM and I went, because oh, that's the only one I actually knew what it was. And my vet looked at me and said, no that's what you want this to be because if it's at the any of the other ones he's never going to stand up again so we did a blood test for epm with that one and we treated started treating him right then and there for epm because as my vet said that's the only thing that he would have actually survived so we're like we're just gonna go ahead and do it so we did lots of steroids and antibiotics fluids um, and started him on marquee within 12 hours he was standing up and still very, very wobbly. And in about 48 hours, he was able to walk. And then he continued to drag his left hind leg for about a good month. And then that gradually got better and better as he went through the treatment. He is, he's doing great. He's 11 years old now. We do a lot of trail, we camp, um, we do obstacle courses, and we're just starting to do some CMO things. He's great. We'll go out for 20, 25 miles. He does have long-term effects. He has some weakness in that le right hind leg that he dragged. He has a hard time with his left lead canter, and he's always got a little bit of stiffness uh, when bending. We treat, we do a lot of chiropractic, we do a lot of massage. I have found that that stiffness, or sorry, that weakness 
gets a whole lot better the more fit he is, which makes sense. He has a couple other things that I honestly don't know if they are related to EPM or if it's just him. He had it when he was so young, it's kind of hard to to know because he is honest, <laughs> he's just kind of slow. He's a little slow to process things. Um, takes him a while to learn things. And a lot of times I feel like I cue him and then you wait for a good 10, 15 seconds and then he's got it. Um, so it's really, it's hard to know if, you know, I don't know, does he have some brain damage from the EPM or it was that just what he was going to be like. Um, anyway, uh, he also sometimes forgets where his hind legs are. So we do a lot of pulls and stepping over things just to kind of keep him thinking of where he's putting his legs, which really comes in handy when you're going down, you know, a steep thing on the trail. So that's my stories with EPM. Both of my horses came through it and they went on to live good lives and be productive. So would I give any advice to people with or have or think they have EPM, my advice would be test for it earlier than later because obviously the sooner you treat for it, these better off, better outcome you're going to have, the less damage you're going to have. I would also say treat as aggressively as you can. Our second guy, we treated him super aggressively and I think that's why he's bounced back so quickly and has done so well in life. I think if I had skimped, then there would have definitely been more damage. And I also would say don't give up. Just, you know, EPM is not the the death toll that it used to be. Um, even with my first horse, it was so new and it was such a a crapshoot whether you are actually going to get your horse to survive. It's not that anymore. So I would say don't give up hope, but treat as aggressively as possible. I've been around horses my whole life, ever since I was about five or six. That's when my dad brought home a couple of ponies for my sister and I, and we rode in parades, 4-H events, hunter paces, Easter egg hunts, local fair horse shows and it was just a way of life for us and I continued to ride throughout my 20s and 30s had various horses along the way when I had kids um, I happened to lose my quarter horse that I had that my daughter actually rode to she as soon as she could sit up in the saddle she was riding and it just never stopped from there she she's now 22 and we continue to ride together. Had multiple horses along the way. The, the horse that I have now actually is came from her trainer. He is a 19-year-old gelding. He's a Morgan Cross. He was in her lesson program for many, many years, and uh, he's very talented. He's smart. He's a really good boy. Um, he had developed arthritis in his hock, so she had retired him, and I very gladly took him. He, I've always had a little soft spot for this guy. He's just a really, really cool horse. So this year, the beginning of the year or so, he just started to, he was off. You know when your horse is off. He was choppy in his gates. He was just not moving right. He had been out of work for about two months. He had a couple of back-to-back -back abscesses. You know, now in hindsight, all these things, all these little pieces to the puzzle are coming together. One of the first things that really, really got me was 
he was spooky. Now this horse is never spooky. He's bomb proof, but he was spooking at things that would normally, he would just not care about. Um, so that was one little red flag. Uh, the next one was I'd be saddling him up and he would, he would bolt when I brought the saddle out of the tack room or he would be standing perfectly still on a flat surface and one back leg would almost just like give out. And it happened so quickly, you don't even realize what's happening. So I, I, the gates, he was choppy, he was off, he was just not moving properly. I had the chiropractor out uh, quite a few times. They adjusted him. The adjustments went well. He always performed better after the adjustments, but it just never really stuck. Uh, and then one day we were trail riding and he just, he wasn't maneuvering downhill right. His hind end was collapsing underneath him. And these things, they seem to like just happen overnight. So I called the vet. She said, well, he should probably be tested for EPM. Well, I didn't even know what EPM was then. I never heard of it. She explained it to me and I was terrified. It did not sound good. Um, I knew that it was just not going to be good. Um, so she came out, we did a blood test. He was a 640 titer. Uh, we started him on marquee right away. He did okay. And then, you know, there's always that kind of worse before he gets better time. And he did get a little worse, but it was more of his mental state. He seemed to be in a fog. Uh, just to look at him, he just looked dazed. He just looked lost. We finished the marquee. Luckily, that phase went away rather quickly. Um, and after that, we could start uh, doing some handwork and doing some strengthening exercises to get his strength back, get his legs moving again, get his muscle tone back up. We did that for weeks, stepping over things, walking over things, an obstacle course, just turning, just all kinds of in-hand work just to keep him moving and keep his joints going and 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 anything to lift up his legs. Finished the marquee. Uh, he was on high doses of vitamin E. He responded very, very well. Doing well today. Actually did a hunter pace a couple months ago. That was awesome. That was just such a relief that he was able to climb back up and be used and at that level again. There's, you know, there's a lot of things that we have to be careful of. Uh, worming. We don't worm with chemical wormers anymore. Our vaccinations are spread out so that it doesn't drag his immune system down. That's the key. I think keeping your horse's immune system at top level. In hindsight, Sam had back-to-back -back abscesses. He had, he was on a steroid for a allergy issue that he was having. I think all these things just wore his immune system down. He couldn't keep up and the protozoa just took advantage of it. And that's when it started to rear its ugly head. So I think, in my opinion, keeping your horse's immune system at the top level is key to this, to not letting that protozoa be able to overcome your horse's immune system and start affecting the central nervous system. If your horse is not on pasture, make sure they're on a vitamin E supplement. I think that is huge. And I think if you notice anything off with your horse, don't hesitate to call your vet. Catching this at an early stage is key to them not only surviving, but being able to overcome it and be usable again, and unfortunately not be a just a pasture ornament. I am very fortunate 
thank God I knock on wood every day that I have my Sam back. Things could have gone way worse. So don't second guess your, your gut on something, especially when it comes to something like this. Hello. Hi, Dr. Crosby. It's Chris Hike from Endurance Horse Podcast. I'm ready. So today on the podcast, we're talking with Dr. Sam Crosby of Arcadia, Oklahoma, and Crosby Equine Services. Hi, Dr. Crosby. Hello. So I, I read that your father was a vet, and that's how you became a vet. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, he's a 1972 graduate of Oklahoma State University. And I grew up following him my whole life. I also was reading on the American Association of Equine Practitioners that you have a passion for teaching. I, I do. Uh, together with uh, some horsemen and some vets here, uh, we've, we created a group called VET, or Veterinarians Encouraging and Teaching. And we've been taking uh, veterinary students from Oklahoma State, Kansas State, uh, Missouri, uh, and Texas A&M, and basically in this region, uh, and we have wet labs, and uh, we try to teach practical aspects of uh, equine medicine, things that uh, uh, aren't covered in the book a lot, and uh, that's been a very successful deal for us until COVID hit, and we were forced to uh, slow down our wet labs. We're just starting to get them cranked back up and get going again right now. So if there was a vet student listening that was interested in being a participant in this, how would they get hold of you? You can get on to uh, the Veterinarians Encouraging and Teaching website. And all of, our, all of the board members, there's five of us, and all of our board members' uh, information is listed on that, that site and, and, and our contact information as well. So I'll add a link to that in the show notes. So I, I think we'll move on to about EPM. And if you could just give us an overview for somebody who's never heard of it, how would you succinctly describe EPM? Okay, so EPM is equine protozoal myeloencephalitis. Uh, the protozoal being referring to the organism that causes the disease. A protozoan is not a bacteria. It's not a virus. It's an actual bug. They're a microscopic, but microscopic bug, excuse me. And uh, that that bug lays eggs in the feces of a intermediary animal. In the case of EPM, actual EPM, that animal has been targeted as the possum. And uh, the possum lays. The possum has a, a fecal movement out in the hay field, or in your feed tub, or something like that. There'll be uh, and, and possums, if you're around possums much, you'll know they like to poop in the water quite a bit. So horses get fecal contamination, oral fecal contamination. They ingest the eggs or the sporocyst, uh, and which then hatch in the gut. And the uh, the small bugs then will use the blood vessels and the veins and whatnot and arteries to uh, to move around the body until they encounter neurologic tissue, at which point they make a home depending on where in the spinal cord or what nerve they decide to make that home, they interfere with the size of their little home will interfere with electrical signals in the spine. Uh, and depending on where that home is located and how much inflammation is around it, uh, will 
that'll determine what signs you see, what symptoms are seen. Uh, the thing about EPM is the horse's immune system will fight it and we'll keep it at bay for a while, but then you'll have a stressor event like hot weather in the summer, cold winter, cold weather in the winter, uh, maybe a three-day rodeo event or something like that. Any kind of stressor that stresses that horse's immune system will allow that bug to then overcome the immune system and, and take off, at, at which point then the the bug almost acts like um, an immune suppressant and it suppresses the immune system further, allowing other opportunistic uh, bugs to, to get hold and take a, and show symptoms as well, which usually confuses the diagnosis. So what are often the first symptoms that a, ho- a horse owner might notice? Let me go a little further here with that description as well. Uh, what we noticed here about 10 to 15 years ago was that uh, we we do a lot of physical exams diagnosing EPM. And the, in these physical exams, we use a lot of acupuncture points. We use a lot of acupuncture meridians going over the horse. and uh, we touch them all over the place. So based on their reactions, that's what we, that's how we determine that they uh, might have EPM and looking for symptoms and whatnot. Well, about 10 years ago, we had a very large uh, drought event in Oklahoma that went on for several years and we shipped in a lot of hay and whatnot. And about that time, uh, I had not seen too many horses with EPM uh, you'd see us. Well, I mean, I'd seen a bunch, but you, you didn't see them a lot. You probably see one every three months or so. And they were neurologic. Uh, and then during that drought, what we found out is we started seeing a lot of horses reacting the same way to our phys- physical exam as a EPM horse should be. Well, originally what we thought possibly we were catching these horses very early and therefore avoiding any neurologic signs and catching them with this exam. But as uh, we went through the years and we were catching so many more of these horses uh, that uh, we decided, hey, we've got something else going on. And a few years back, I ran into Dr. Madigan from University of California, Davis, with his wife, uh, Monica Elliman, and uh, she's a board certified equine neurologist. And we had a long talk in the Denver airport. And uh, the upshot of it was we did a, a study through my clinic here because I told them that I was seeing so much more uh, EPM-like syndromes that, than uh, what other people were seeing. And uh, we did uh, muscle biopsies and blood and, and uh, did a pretty good study here. And what we determined, and they presented the study findings at the AAP meeting in uh, San Francisco. And what they found was um, that there is another bug, and it's called Sarcocystis feyeri. Sarcocystis feyeri is a muscular form of the protozoan. It forms its home in the muscle system, and it does a, It has a similar presentation, except that it doesn't cause neurologic symptoms. Uh, and this was a big finding for us because a lot of horses that we were calling EPM, and the blood work was coming back inconclusive because these two uh, animals are in the same family. Basically, you got Sarcocystis feyeri. And then causing EPM, the bug that causes that, Sarcocystis neurona. And then there's another bug called Neosporocusei that's been implicated as well. 
But the sarcosystis fairi and the sarcosystis neurona were causing a similar type of syndrome and still are. And uh, that's very important because uh, a lot of people are still calling this EPM and the treatment is the same. So uh, I had to say that to kind of outline what we're facing with this disease. Uh, we're seeing more and more of the sarcosystis fairi. Um, we're not seeing an overly large presentation of sarcosystis neurona, but we see a lot of sarcosystis fairi, or what we call the muscular form of EPM for simplification. It's way oversimplified, but uh, that's what we say. So if it is, if it is the muscular form, is it this? Is it the same test, or is it a different test? Actually, no. You 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 really there's only two places to test. One of them is pathogens labs in uh, Florida, which is a private lab. And the other one is the University of California, Davis. But the University of California, Davis doesn't actually test for sarcosystis fairi. They only have a test for sarcosystis neurona. So uh, a lot of times when we get a negative blood test, the blood tests have a high rate of uh, false negatives. I just wanted to s come back around to what are often the first signs that people might notice? First signs you'll notice on a lot of these horses, uh, they'll have an, an unthrifty hair coat. Their hair coat will be uh, kind of rough. Uh, and it sneaks up on you. This is a very insidious disease. It sneaks up on you and you'll have a rough hair coat, a dull look in the eye. Um, you could have any kind of presentation depending on where this bug makes its home and which bug you're mm -hmm. facing. Uh, you can have, like you were talking about, a drunk presentation where they're staggering. Uh, sometimes I've had horses that presented uh, with chronic colickers, and they colicked over and over again, and we treated, kept treating them until we figured out what we were facing. And then once we treated it, they quit colicking. Uh, have to assume that the, the bug had made a uh, possible home in like a main nerve root, the gastric nerve root or something like that. Um, I've also had presentations where you have facial nerve paralysis, uh, where the ear droops on one side. Uh, sometimes the, with the facial nerve paralysis, the nose will turn completely one way because the muscles on the good side that's not paralyzed are pulling the muscles away from the other side that is uh, not resisting. You call that a wry nose. Uh, I've had horses that went blind in one eye. I've had horses, some horses go blind in both eyes. And they range from anywhere from a slight neurologic gait that's almost not noticeable to we've had horses through the clinic here that fell on us several times while we were trying to treat them and they were a danger to everybody around. Uh, one horse who had central nervous system signs, his head would turn completely uh, and, and uh, cocked. And he, he would hold his right eye to the, towards the ground and his left eye up and turn his head almost looking the other way. Uh, and that horse would fall on. He fell on us several times trying to get him treated. Uh, we eventually got him back to where he'll be a pasture pet for the rest of his life, but he'll never be rideable again. But that was due more to the, the lady's commitment that owned him because she would not quit. She must have really loved him. She does. So I was in an EPM group on Facebook and I asked the owners, all of them there, 
have had to deal with EPM. And I kind of asked them what were some of the subtle things that they noticed in retrospect. And, and they were, you know, things I would have never thought of, but if I would have noticed maybe three or five of them, like from now on, I would definitely suspect EPM. Um, I just wanted to share a couple of them with you and see if you agreed with that. Sure. The main one was an occasional stumble behind, yes, but not consistent. One was a horse that suddenly got hot and spooky, but that wasn't their true personality. That's true. Uh, muscle atrophy in one hip. That's a major sign, yes. Some that were just a little, a horse that backed up crookedly. Yes. Sore-backed horses. Oh, yeah. Horses that were standing base-wide to base-narrow, just you know, on top of themselves or crossing their legs and leaving them crossed. Yeah, that's a, that's neurologic. That's what we're talking about, a neurologic act. They don't actually know where, where their legs are in uh, relation to their body. One that really surprised me, and I think for our horse would have been a red flag, was occasionally choking and having swallowing issues. Okay, so there's two things with that. Uh, Sarcosis ferri, the muscular form of the disease, the largest uh, concentration of those bugs ends up being in the tongue muscle. Uh, therefore, a lot of times sarcosis ferri can cause, the muscular form can cause choking and problems there. It doesn't necessarily have to be the neurologic form to cause that. However, if you have a bug in the spinal cord up near the facial nerves, you can have choking and problems chewing as well. It, it just seems like I can't read all of these. There were about 30 of them. Oh, yeah. There's a ton of them. I mean, it's like you said, this disease is really insidious. Once you have a horse with it, you'll recognize the signs, no problem. Uh, you'll see it. I, I've got tons of clients now that we've treated their horses before, and, and uh, they'll call me and they say, I think he's coming back with it. Uh, and and uh, now they see it. But the way it the way it sneaks up on you is pretty crazy because uh, even though you may be in tune with it, it's so insidious it sneaks up on you uh, is that uh, the horse will do something and you, you kind of just mentally check it off as nothing. I might do something else. You mentally check it off as nothing. And then one day you're like, Oh crap, he's got it. Because all of a sudden you see it, you know, the people that ride them generally are better at picking it up because they'll notice they're wooden sided by wooden sided. They're very, uh, unresponsive uh when riding with your heels and whatnot um you, you and then they don't respond as well as raining and, and whatnot like that uh, a big portion of these horses uh early on will have problems with the stumbling in the back end is a stifle because what will happen is you'll find that a lot of these horses neurologic uh, the first thing it hits is the patella or the kneecap and the stifle of the horse and it'll cause it to lock or stick causing the horse to stumble. Hmm. So, I mean, uh, all of these things, atrophied muscle anywhere on that horse. We had the one horse we lost, Houdini, in October. And so I thought, I'm going to test everybody else. So we did. And everybody came back with a variety of numbers. Um, but my other main riding horse, his titers came back at 1,000. And had Houdini not had this, I wouldn't have t I wouldn't have thought that Junior had it, but the one thing he was doing oddly was not flexing his ankles in behind. Right. And he he's such a a leggy horse. I just thought that was how he was moving. 
but then he would no longer maintain the left lead canter. Right. And he was having a hard time staying in canter. Person I take lessons from, she said, you know, I think he's just weak behind, but he's, you know, he's a 17 year old horse and he had always been strong in the canter. So that didn't make sense. And so I kept saying, I think he's an honest horse and I think there's something wrong, like maybe an abscess. I didn't know what it was. Um, then the one of our mares, Grace, I thought stifle issues. She was constantly resting a hind leg. Um, and then, like you said, there was stumbling in front with her knees. And so for her, it seems to have affected her knees and her stifles. And we've treated her for a while. And now she's, I wouldn't say her knees are exactly back to 100%, but she doesn't rest her hind leg anymore. And before we treated her, she was always one or the other resting it. So I would have never thought, oh, EPM on either one of those horses. True. And and the, uh, the thing is, I caution people to just be treating off of a titer, a blood titer, because if you understand the actual titer, a titer is a measure of the body's response, the body responding to that bug being present. Okay. If it's true EPM, that bug will likely be in the spinal cord, in which case the only true way to find it and prove it is with a spinal tap where you take spinal fluid out. Unfortunately, that's four or five hundred dollars. Uh, and so a lot of times we don't do that. I don't. I have taken to where the blood uh, test because 99 percent of the horses in our part of the world here have been exposed to that bug. Uh, but I don't really say they actually have the disease until it, it is expressing symptoms or symptomatic. Uh, so I caution people for treating them off of titers because you'd be treating everybody one time or another. And you may be treating a horse that doesn't actually have disease expressed. Are you going to hurt them? No, you're not going to hurt them. Uh, but you're going to spend a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Maybe un- unnecessarily. So if a horse has a thousand, a blood titer of a thousand or four thousand, would you necessarily treat it? Well, you get up over the thousands like that and they declare that to be without a doubt an infection. He's actively Mm -hmm. fighting. When it's that high, they're saying he's actively fighting it. I still like to get my hands on him and see if I've got any symptoms. Uh, I'm just, uh, my problem is I'm a skeptic when it comes to the blood test. uh, And that includes most of those tests uh if i get the blood test and it backs me up then i can call it you know that's good but uh a lot of times i'll have horses that i know have it and yet the blood test is negative yeah ours were unfortunately three horses were at four thousand and two were at a thousand and one was at two thousand and one was at 500 yeah so what's your you know when you're that way and and you got to be thinking about it and then you were noticing small symptoms and if you're noticing small symptoms like that, along with that blood test, well, then you don't have a whole lot of uh, anything to do other than treat them. Yeah, with Grace, we weren't quite able to track down what it was, but we knew something was not quite right with her. And then till till these blood tests. Sure. So can you share your experience with treating EPM a little and what the outcomes have been to both extremes of the spectrum, you know, when, when it doesn't, hasn't worked and when it when it's been a success? Absolutely. There's uh, two accepted ways to go when treating EPM. One of them is commercial medications, which are accepted 
commonly run into. And basically, you're looking at three three main medications. One of them is Marquee, which is panazaril, the active ingredient. The other one is diclazaril, otherwise known as protozil pellets, that you can put in the feed. And the third one is uh, rebalance. And those are the three main ones that are out there that are commercially available. They're pretty expensive. Uh, I think it costs about 1500 to treat with Marquee. A bucket of protozil lasts about 30 days, and it's around $1,000 now. And the rebalance, the rebalance is cheaper. I'm not even sure what the price is on rebalance these days, but I think it's around two, two to $300 for a bottle, which should do 30 days. Rebalance is sulfapyrimethamine, which is the original uh, treatment that was derived back in 1990 to 1992, somewhere in there. Uh, and uh, that's the original one. And, and uh, it's, like I said, it's packaged in that form. Uh, the problem with the sulfapyrimethamine is it uh, it inhibits vitamin D production, so you have to uh, supplement them with vitamin D. Uh, and it's always good to supplement these sources with vitamin E. We use the natural source of that and not the synthetics. Uh, that vitamin E basically helps them regenerate their nervous tissue, which is really slow to grow back. Now, as far as the other method to go, there are a lot of forms of medications out there that are not approved by the FDA uh, that are available compounding pharmacies. Varying numbers of those are really, really good. They all seem to be cheaper. About half the cost. Yeah, well, half or even less some. But again, they're not approved by the FDA and a lot of practitioners won't use those. That is exactly what, what happened with us is we went marquee and protozel pellets with the first round and then worked with a vet who would, he would order compounded from the pharmacy. And so that let us treat our horses longer because it was literally $400 instead of $900. Okay. So as far as treating with those, you run into everything on these neurologic courses from like, like you were talking about horses that are stumbling or slightly neurologic, maybe a little drunk walking in the back end or uh, any kind of small symptom like that, and generally you treat anywhere from one month to three months. Uh, most of the neurologic cases we end up treating uh, three months usually. I like to move around and use different treatments uh, and just come at it from a different angle. Uh, I don't. I hardly ever use the same treatment over and over again for three months. I would like to see considerable improvement in the first month before I started a second month worth of treatment. Okay, now when you get into the worst neurologic ones that are actually really neurologic and stumbling and weaving, your success of your treatment is uh, statistically going to be a lot lower. Uh, as, the, as the horses pro proceed past, if you get them up below 17, generally the horses respond to treatment pretty well. Uh, if they're above 17 or 17 and above, it appears like most of them are uh, real slow to uh, proceed and improve over that, off that treatment. Uh, age has a lot. Oh, that's what I was going to ask is 17 or you mean the age? No, the age. I'm talking about the age. When a horse is 17 or above in age, they don't uh, improve nearly as well or nearly as quickly. Now, you'll have horses that will surprise you, and then you'll have horses that right. surprise you the other way that you think you're going to get them and they go ahead and go backwards on you. And um, we'll try a lot of different treatments here trying to 
pull them back, uh, you know, you get them to turn around and go the other way. Uh, sometimes it works. A, a good, you know, a good example is the horse banker I was talking about that belonged to a young lady here, and she would not quit. And this horse fell on us and was totally unsafe. And I was cautioning her. He had central nervous system signs, which usually could be, you know, something else besides EPM, but it, it, he also had blood titer, a really high blood titer for EPM. Therefore we, we continued treating, him. um, and we treated him three months and he improved to the point almost where we thought we could ride him. And we stopped treating him for two months and I'll be darned if he didn't have a relapse and come back twice as bad. And, uh, so then we treated him for almost five months the second time. And now he's, like I said, he can run in the pasture and get along, but he has a lot of uh, nervous system issues. He'll never be ridden again. He's not safe. Speaking of, of sliding backwards, I have had several people tell me that giving immunization shots might cause a flare up that joint, you know, injections could cause a flare up. Okay. So there's any number of things that, that could cause it to go, but here's the thing. What what the people aren't looking at, they're, they're saying, okay, if I do this or I do that, I'm going to cause a flare up. Well, in all honesty, if your horse if your horse's immune system is compromised, the horses that are really bad to get this, uh, their immune system is compromised. So anything that you do that puts him on a stress and stresses his immune system will allow it to flare up again. Uh, the joint injections are basically due to cortisone. Uh, there's all numbers of cortisones and they're, of course, everybody hates cortisone, but it's still a very good drug and it's very useful. Usually what we'll put in joints is uh, Depo, Medrol, which has an activity of over 30 days. Uh, and uh, those shots in the joints can suppress the immune system enough that it'll come. You're not giving your horse EPM again and causing a flare-up. You're suppressing his immune system, and that's allowing it to come back. He had it already. Uh, and so, you know, you're basically... In those cases there, where there's no preventative medication other than pro protozil, which we discussed being $800 a bucket is a little hard to feed $800 bucket every 30 days. Sure is. So basically at that point, we usually treat three times a year. You know, I'll treat some horses twice a year, depending on how many times they've come back with it. Uh, if they're proven that they're sure enough going to come back, and we'll keep them at bay by treating them about every three months or so just to make sure that it doesn't come back and in which case if if he's shown a propensity to get it again a lot of times we'll go ahead and do our joint injections but we'll go ahead and treat him while we're doing our joint injections is there any advice that you would give horse owners that have a horse with epm or they suspect or somebody like me who has horses that wants to bring them back into competition if they're safe they're not stumbling Sure. They've been treated for EPM. Can they get back out there and compete? Yeah, sure. And going back to that previous question, the anabolic steroids do not lower the immune system. They actually make the horse do better overall and increase the immune system. So those are okay to give, whereas the corticosteroids are usually lowering the immune system and kind of counter, uh, countering what we're trying to do when we're treating EPM, okay? So now going to this question, uh, advice, uh, like I said, uh, you got to realize that a horse that has had EPM and had it for any length of time, his immune system is weakened. Uh, 
therefore, you need to keep this in the back of your mind at all times. Uh, if he comes back with it and you have to treat him again, well, then you need to uh, keep in mind that you're more than likely going to have to treat him occasionally, even though he's not showing any signs or anything as a preventative, because there are, there are no preventatives that are really available other than than the protozoal pellets. And you could use the protozoal pellets if you wanted to uh, treat with probably, a, say, a half a bucket every three months or something like that if you're using commercial medications. Mm -hmm. But what you have to dis what you have to discover, what you must know, is, is you're done treating the disease. The horse looks a lot better, but he just incurred a tremendous insult right. to not only his neurologic system, but his entire body. So instead of just jumping back on him and going or running, uh, what I would recommend is a pretty good rehab stint. Uh, you can use any of your uh, rehab facilities that are nearby, uh, swimming, uh, underwater treadmill, thing like that. Or, or you can even like banker's owner that we talked about at home. She set up an obstacle course and put in poles uh, and used cinder blocks. And uh, she would raise and lower her poles and make him step over the poles lunging him and, and use the poles as obstacles for him making him lift his feet up and whatnot anything like that a good rehab stint would really help that horse to recover the second thing you need to realize about that is you have just hammered this horse's body with a tremendous amount of medication so at that point you need to come back with a probiotic mm -hmm. a, a really good mm -hmm. strong probiotic to first of all get your flora normal flora and fauna back in the intestinal tract because the intestinal tract is the prime defense ground. That's that's number one defense area against any kind of illness is your gastrointestinal tract. If it's healthy, then the horse will be healthier as well. So you use a probiotic, and there are some probiotics that I've had good success with as far as giving the horse enough health that it enables that horse to bring a little bit of muscle back, especially those atrophied areas. Uh, they regain feeling and whatnot, and you're doing a little rehab. So we use uh, one called Carbo Combo quite a bit. That's spelled with a K, K-A-R-B-O Combo on the internet. You can buy it. And I really like that. I'll use that 30 to 60 days post-treatment to kind of get the horse back to where I want him. And sometimes I'll use mm -hmm. it longer than that. And I've had pretty good recovery uh -huh. systems with that. So the rehab, the probiotics uh, and the vitamin E are extremely important. I listened to a different um, teaching that you did and I thought you mentioned, I don't want to say necessarily Roundup, but glycophosphate. I'm always looking for something and looking at different things. And I was at a uh, actual an alternative medicine conference in Salt Lake City and a young uh, doctor gave a presentation on glyphosate, which is of course Roundup. They've not actually proven that it causes cancer. They said, you know, this guy had done a deal where he actually looked at it and, and thought glyphos put on a bit of in, intestine uh, and then added, uh, uh, good gosh, you hate it when your mind draws a blank. What's all the food allergies we have today? Like gluten allergies. Yeah. Gluten. There's the word I was mm -hmm. looking for. Thank you. When they, when he put glyphos and gluten on a piece of intestine, the intestine opened wide therefore causing a uh, kind of a leaky mm -hmm. gut syndrome, which he felt like was causing a lot of our problems today, our allergies, food allergies, a lot of different problems. I thought it was a very interesting point. I couldn't prove anything, don't have anything mm -hmm. to cite you or anything like that. I, I felt like it was a very interesting discussion that the guy put forth. I've actually read that in regards to people because I have a gluten allergy and, and it, it is a very real thing. It makes you feel quite ill. 
I've mm-hmm. also thought, geez, you know, humans didn't just all of a sudden become allergic to wheat. Yeah, exactly. That's what this guy's point was, is we poisoned our whole environment. And, and really, and honestly, if you look at organic farming, it's kind of a joke unless they're filtering their water because mm-hmm. our water contains all kinds of poisonings and, and whatnot anyway. So um, it's, it'd be awful hard to do anything organic. I thought that talk was extremely interesting because the man said he personally put that bit of intestine there and that was his reaction. And that really opened my eyes as far as, well, you know, we're having a lot more trouble because I, I mean, questions today, uh, I get questioned all the time by horse people is why are the, why are the horses from the old days didn't get nearly as sick? Well, it's, uh-huh. it, it's easy to say, well, you know, in the old days they just didn't know and they didn't put anything on it. But if you'll look at a lot of the things that are happening these days, especially the illnesses with horses, you're kind of like, well, what changed? That is a pretty good answer. And it, it, it was something that I thought was interesting enough that I, I brought it up during that one talk. There were several people who had horses with EPM that said that one of the things they had to deal with while the horse had EPM was frequent hoof abscesses. That goes back to what we were discussing. It's when that immune system is lowered and that bug takes over, it lowers the immune system even further. And therefore, uh, you get hoof abscesses, you get sarcoid tumors, uh, you get skin conditions, fungus. Uh, you'll get all kinds of different problems that you never had with that horse all of a sudden. And then sometimes that's the lead in to give you the idea that, oh, my goodness, uh, I've got EPM. Because, uh, you know, you're finding all these things wrong with him. You're like, well, what happened to this horse? Why is he going downhill like this? And he might have a condition called scratches or like I said, he could possibly have these sarcoid tumors pop up on him all of a sudden. Those are all symptoms that his immune system is not reacting as it should. I want to thank you for helping shed a light on EPM for us. I was surprised at how many people had not heard of it, but also I was surprised at how much I didn't know either because I just thought it was them looking a little drunk in the hind end and I didn't know all these other symptoms really are related. And now that you've explained the immune system, it completely makes sense to me. So I want to thank you for that. Well, I'm glad to help any way I can. I learn something every day. I think I get pretty smart, and then all of a sudden I get really humbled. <laughs> Sometimes when you learn something new, you think, now I know how much I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's exactly what happens to me every day. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Crosby. And I will add a link in the show notes to the VETS program in case somebody would like to participate. I sure appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for giving us your time. To share your story on Endurance Horse Podcast, send an email to endurancehorsepodcast at gmail.com. We enjoyed having you along for the ride. Endurance Horse Podcast is where you get to share your adventures of riding good horses through beautiful country. Many stresses in life are washed away by a good gallop, a steady trot, or by simply saddling up your favorite horse for an easy ride. Remember, every mile a memory.